Good morning. <laughs> um, I don't know, you guys, you want to stay? Yeah, we're gonna okay. Um, it's a pleasure to be with this group with you guys this morning. I'm, I'm here a lot, but <laughs> it's a pleasure to be up here. And um, yeah, I just want to thank you guys for worshiping the Lord with us. And yeah, he's good. Um, and as I was trying to figure out what in the world I was going to say for my testimony, um, I, I think I settled on just the fact that he's good um, because it's so true. And it's so needed. Um, I know in my life, if I don't believe that God is good, then I just don't have the strength to do what he wants me to do or to do what I want to do half the time, if, it, if that's a good thing. Um, yeah, so I just want to thank him that he's good. He's been good to me. Since I got back from China, um, I was kind of scared that I wouldn't have anyone around me because um, I had a really tight community. But I got back and I got involved with the CA, and they really were and are a family to me. Um, I'm so grateful for those moments when I'm broken and like my sisters in Christ can just hold me close. And um, I just, I'm grateful for that. So I just want to praise the Lord that he's good. Um, And for all of us in here, if anyone is feeling like, feeling that they're in a situation that's not good, um, or they're like, God, how are you good in this situation? I just pray that um, he will show you how he is good and how he does provide um, and how his truth is the backbone for everything else. Um, It's not contingent on anything else. Um, Yeah, so he is good. And I just pray that he would reveal that to all of us in um, the ways that we need it right now. Um, Because with him, all things are possible. And um, Jesus is calling, guys. taller it's good um yeah public speaking okay um i guess just just thinking about what i wanted to what i wanted to say um i guess it was just laid in my heart because it's actually something that i've been getting better with um i don't know about any of you but beating myself up whether it was i don't know name any sin just beating yourself up over and over and over um letting the devil have a field day on you um but yeah, God's been working me, helped me not to do that because um, I went to this one conference in Fusion and um, there's this elective called How Can You Forgive Yourself or something like that and uh, a big part of it was saying that if you don't forgive yourself then you're basically saying God's forgiveness isn't good enough for you which of course it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, I had to really come to grips that I am forgiven so I can accept God's grace and just know that even if I mess up He still loves me. So. So I'm Eamon, and um, this semester I was bumped up to being a small group leader. Um, it's kind of funny. I don't like leadership roles, but everybody says that's kind of my gift or one of them. Um, the first time that was told to me was when I gave my testimony for the first time four years ago on bike trip. And Ken said that, and my first thought was, oh, poop, I really don't want you to push me into that. Because he said he was going to give me a leader role somehow, and I was kind of like, I'm fine with just being a bike trip leader. Um, So 
I've been helping out with the youth group a lot for many years as a leader. And this semester I've been kind of feeling burnt out from it because um, we included sixth graders. And so now instead of having 15 kids, we have like 30-something every week. Um, and they're all young and loud, and I don't like that. So I've been feeling burnt out with that. And then Peter told me, oh, you're going to be a small group leader. And I asked to do that like two years beforehand when the youth group was really easy and kind of laid back. So I was kind of like, I don't want um, another responsibility right now with all these kids and then having to do this. Um, but this semester, I've grown a lot because of it. Um, and it's really shown me that even though sometimes I think of myself as an immature idiot, I can still give a lot of wisdom out to kids my age. Um, like, I hang out with Dan a lot, um, and he's told me that I've helped him a lot. And sometimes you don't realize how much you actually are helping with somebody, and I've realized that a lot this semester. So give yourself a little bit credit is what I've learned. Um, I think we all can work on that. Hi, um, I'm Dan. Um, I guess the one big thing I can say is just some one small fact about me is um, I live with autism spectrum disorder, and it's the best thing I can say about that. It's different for everybody who has this disorder. For me, it just makes it um, harder to understand certain things, like in classes, math and science were not my best subjects. But then again, I don't, I don't know in the future. Um, it's also been a problem with just dealing with social interaction. Um, but it's some things I excel in. Um, one is creative, being creative, um, my love for theater, and my passion for it, as well as my passion for music. Um, over the years, ever since I found out I was diagnosed with this, um, I began to look at it as possibly a curse because I didn't really fully understand what it deals with and how much it really affected my life over um, with social interaction, it's been a real struggle lately in just the past because I didn't really feel like I belong with anybody. I didn't feel like I was more than what people said I was. I began to um, think, about, think about the lies as well as thinking myself worthless. But ever since I came to CA and I'm part, I feel blessed to be part of this amazing praise team, um, I look at myself now and said, autism is not a curse. It is a blessing. Because it's blessed me with so many opportunities. Again, just being a part of this praise team is the best opportunity I've ever had in my life. Um, I don't know what type of opportunities I'll have for the future, but the one thing I can say is I trust God with whatever he has planned for me, and so I'm ready. I'm Syra again. My story is a story of redemption. And uh, if you're in Christ, yours is too. And I grew up in a non-Christian home with um, 
One parent who struggled with uh, substance abuse and another parent who grew up feeling so unloved that he had no idea how to love. And um, I resisted Jesus in my own actions uh, through my own rebellion for 20 years. And um, when I was 20, he helped me to say enough is enough. And uh, he showed me that he's the greatest father that you could ever have and the the greatest nurturer that there ever was and ever could be. Um, He gave me, like it says in Jeremiah, hope and a confidence and a future. And um, I heard an amazing sermon recently. It was Louis Giglio uh, about Luke 7, that text. And um, it was about the man who's dead. um, The only son of his mother is what the verse says. um, And he was raised from the dead by Jesus. And Louis really focused in on how Jesus told his mother not to cry. And there was all these implications that came with that because she had lost her husband. She was a widow. And uh, she had no more sons. That was her only son. So now she was just this this female in this culture um, where that was not, um, you know, a very a good thing um, as far as, like, having things provided for you and all those implications. So she was basically hopeless is how she was feeling. And Jesus told her in that space, in that moment, under those circumstances, not to cry. And that's kind of audacious if you think about it, you know. And, um, the reason Jesus was able to tell her that was because he knew he was going to make a way for this lady. He knew what he was going to do for her. He knew that she would be provided for. And um, in this case, it was the miracle of raising her son from the dead um, and also salvation. But I'd like to declare that I'm the woman in that story. Um, and I'm also the son. And so so is everybody here who's in Christ. And um, the Lord is providing and he wants to provide like he did for this woman. Uh, he wants to raise us up from the death to life like the son. And even if he has provided for us in the past and he, he has um, redeemed us in salvation in the past, um, I want to trust him to provide for me today and tomorrow. And I want all of us to trust him um, in the future and I just want to say, let us trust him to also redeem our situations today and tomorrow also. And so my my story is one of redemption. Well, good morning. Good morning. Today is a great day to worship the Lord. And uh, Pastor Don called me up on Friday and um, we were talking about coming here. And he said, you know, it's Palm Sunday. And I went, oh, my gosh. Okay, well, I guess that's being low church. You know, we, we celebrate the cross and the resurrection every day. And so I'm not as attuned to the church calendar, if you want to call it that. So I'm sorry that we haven't made a lot of Palm Sunday. But what a day that was. What a day that was. What an incredible outpouring of praise, of anticipation, Because the people who praised Jesus when he came into the city were longing for the, they were longing for the Messiah. They were longing for the salvation of God. They were longing for the deliverance of God, not only from sin, but also from the oppression of the Romans and just the hardness and the harshness of life. And so when Jesus came, they were praising him. They were, they were un, corking the champagne. They were pouring out their praise. They were laying their cloaks down in front of him. Now they had hoped, probably like we sometimes hope, that victory would be easy. (laughs) But it isn't. (laughs) Things are never as easy as it seems like they're going to be. And, um, And things are hard, but we're here to say that Jesus is the one who did the heavy lifting. 
Jesus is the one who pushed back the darkness. He's the one who defeated the enemy of God and the enemy of humankind on the enemy's turf. Jesus was sent by his Father to come down into this earth and to do battle with the enemy and to win for himself a bride whom he would enjoy with life with forever. And so let's pray. Let's ask God to give our hearts and minds an appreciation of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and who we have become and will become in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to save us so many years ago. Father, before the creation of the earth, you determined that Jesus would die for us and then be raised again to victory and to overcome all the forces and powers of darkness. Help us now to open our hearts and minds afresh to the significance and the power of the good news about Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, to live daily as, um, as you would have us live, to honor and glorify you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul uh, writes, and he's talking about his experience had been, he got roughed up in Athens and uh, got kind of thrown out of town and he comes down to Corinth and he decides, I'm just going to focus on the gospel because the gospel is the power of God to save people. And so he says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I just want to point out to you this kernel of the gospel this very basic thing. It doesn't sound like much, but it actually is a a tremendously profound message that comes to a ruined humanity. He says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. The power of God is compressed into the gospel because the gospel is indeed the power of God. Who else but God could send his son into the world? God becoming a human being, being tempted as we are in all ways and yet without sin living a life of complete and utter joyful union with his father, representing his father faithfully, not sugarcoating it, telling it like it is, calling people forward, but announcing the power of God to save. He healed people. He demonstrated power over death. He raised people from the dead. He spoke the truth. 
He told people that their sins would be forgiven in him and that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And then, after a life of faithful obedience to his Father, he laid his life down an atonement for our sin. He died for us. And this death broke the power of Satan, broke the power of sin, covered our sins, though they are many. Back in Isaiah, God's, the, through the prophet Isaiah, God said, Though Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be scarlet, they will be white as snow. God comes as one who judges sin, but as one who forgives our sins and rescues us from the darkness of sin and gives us eternal life. So this kernel message, Jesus and him crucified, Paul said, I want people to focus on what God did for them in Christ the significance of this amazing death in our place and new life that comes out of it. Human beings, we're a piece of work, you know? (laughs) We're a piece of work. Um, and, And we've all done it. You know, when Adam and Eve, they had a perfect situation, they thought they knew better than God, and so they decided to take matters into their own hands, literally, and define good and evil for themselves. And the Apostle Paul talks about how destructive that is in Romans chapter 1. Proclaiming themselves to be wise, they became fools. And instead of really knowing what was going on, their thinking became futile. And when your thinking is futile, even your hearts, even your desires get twisted. And that's the situation that Jesus was sent into, a lost, imprisoned human race. Thinking that they were free, they became slaves to sin. And so this is what God had to deal with. And he sent his son, and his son lived life the way it was supposed to be lived. And then he was punished for all the sins of the world. This little message, Jesus Christ and him crucified, teaches us powerful, important things about God. One of the things that it tells us is that God hates sin and has judged sin and will judge sin. None of us, when we see Jesus Christ on the cross, we realize what a terrible price he paid. So if, if Jesus was going to pay the price for us, it wasn't going to be a slap on the wrist for him. He was going to be destroyed in our stead. Because the judgment against sin is destruction. It is death. The wages of sin is death. When a person is punished for sin, they're getting what they deserve. But Jesus is the one who did not deserve death, but who experienced it on our behalf so that we could be spared and we could be forgiven. It was interesting that Caleb was talking about realizing how natural it is 
to beat ourselves up over our own sin. But it's a step of faith to recognize that when Jesus paid the penalty, he paid the full penalty. We're fools if we think we can somehow add to the price that Jesus paid by sulking around a little bit, you know, and thinking poorly of ourselves when Jesus says, come, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. This business of forgiveness is radically transformative, and I'm urging it upon all of us to think deeply about the forgiveness that is offered to us in and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you remember from Isaiah chapter um, 6, I think, where Isaiah is presented with a vision of the Lord, high and lifted up, and he sees these angels, and the angels are even hiding themselves from God and proclaiming their worship, and Isaiah, is, who was a godly man, is smitten with his awareness of his inner depravity, and his sinfulness, and he falls down and he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a a filthy generation. And then one of the seraphs takes a coal from the altar, and he brings the coal over to Isaiah, and he touches his lips with it. And, And the Bible doesn't describe anything about that experience in terms of how much it must have hurt or how terrified he must have been with an angel coming at him with a coal. But here were the words, your sins have been atoned for. And and Isaiah, in his brokenness and in his despair, is transformed by the assurance of forgiveness. So then, after this happens and the angel pronounces upon Isaiah his forgiveness and his acceptance before God, then the Lord says, Who will go for us? Who will we send? And like a third grader who's got an answer to the question, (laughs) Isaiah says, I'll go, I'll go, send me. That should be your experience and mine. We should understand that the death of Jesus Christ is so miraculous, so sufficient, so completely adequate for our need that far from being um, alienated from God with no hope of reconciliation, our responsibility is to name our sins when they come to our attention, to to agree with God about what they are, but then to cast ourselves upon the forgiveness and the accepting love of God and offer ourselves as living sacrifices to follow, to obey, to honor, to glorify God. So this message where the Apostle Paul says, I decided I'm going to talk about nothing except Jesus is crucified. What he is saying is he's saying, your sins have been fully and completely judged by God. As serious as they are, as awful as they are, the debt has been paid and now the gates are open and we're welcome to the Lord Jesus to fellowship with him. 
The next thing about Jesus Christ and Him crucified is it tells us how much God loves us. It tells us not only about the seriousness of our sin, but it tells us about the lengths that God has gone to rescue us from darkness and how he is determined to see this process through. Lillian, when she was sharing her testimony, she said, you know, I need to know that God is good. When it hits the fan and things are not working out the way that you want them to work out, when you feel pressed, when you feel hard-pressed, we need to assert, we need to believe, we need to bring into our mind the fact that God is good. He is good. Even in the middle of the storm, He is good. And, and the more that we are willing and able to do that, the more confidence that we're going to have to face whatever it, that we have to face with courage, with hope, with the awareness that God will never, ever, ever, ever let us down. You think about how much, you know, Pastor Don said, we can't love him as much as he loves us. And he's the one who initiated, and we're the ones who are responding but I've thought about it. I, I remember um, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And he, you know, they didn't even know what he was talking about. They would find out soon. But, but he, he laid down his life for them. But then in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So whose love is it? Is it Jesus' love because he's the one who laid down his life? Or why does it refer to the Father's love in sending Jesus? It would seem to me that it was like, well, Jesus did the suffering. Then I became a parent. And I began to realize that when your kids are suffering, you would die a thousand deaths for them you would be willing to exchange places for them. It's very difficult sometimes for parents to let their kids suffer when that's kind of what the kids have to do. You know, when they're struggling in, with a situation and it's hard, you can be supportive and you can be helpful, but you can't protect them from everything. We should protect them from a lot of things, but there are some things we shouldn't. And uh, so it's a very difficult thing for a parent to see a child suffering. So who suffered more, Jesus or the Father? Yes. <laughs> they probably were both ripped up about it. And the Holy Spirit was going, hey, we were a good thing. What happened? <laughs> you know, so I, I, I could just see the Holy Spirit going, look, you're going to I know you're going to let me raise him up. Father, let me do it. <laughs> you know, he can't wait. He's on like, this is the worst three days of my life, he said. <laughs> How can an eternal being worry about three days? Well, we will not try to go there because I don't even know how to solve that one. But, <laughs> but here's the love of God. The love of God accepted being ripped apart, being disemboweled personally. The fellowship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit shattered 
with the ugliness of evil coming into their presence, fouling their relationship, alienating them from one another. Jesus, at one point, he's hanging on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But then a little while later, it's, my God, my God, what are you doing to me? And uh, why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus' experience of alienation from God is, uh, is something that I just don't, don't even know what to think about. Perhaps, perhaps we could taste a little bit of this by thinking about, have you ever been accused by someone that you love of doing something treacherous to them when you didn't? They're blaming you for something. You didn't do it. You love them. You care about them. But they are charging you with treachery and betrayal. Ah, That's just an awful thing to think about. And I think perhaps that's something of what Jesus experienced. He was blamed for something he didn't do. And the Father had to treat him for th- with judgment the way... The, the father would rejoice in judging the devil, but he had to judge his own son. And, and when you think about that, this is because God loves us. God experienced extreme uh, shattering torture in order to rescue us. So if God did not withhold his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not now freely give us anything and everything that we need in order to faithfully represent him to others and bring other sons and daughters to glory through our witness? The gospel is the power of God. You see how it has, it's the power of God. It's the power of God to help us to see the seriousness of our sin, but to help us to have confidence that God's judgment for that sin is sufficient. Therefore, clearing our consciences so we can say, Lord, here am I, send me. But then when life is difficult, when things are hard, when things are not going the way that we think they're going, we have the assurance of his love. We have the assurance that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. So we need to remind ourselves of this on a daily basis. We can't just say, oh, yeah, the gospel is, that's how you get started in this thing. And then after that, you start to learn all the rules and regulations of Christian behavior. That was kind of the way it was for me when I first became a Christian, I thought. And I remember my, my first pastor saying, oh, yeah, in every sermon, I, I get around to the gospel somehow because if somebody is new in the church, they'll be able to say, all right, I accept Jesus Christ. But what I really focus on is teaching people how to live the Christian life. But my feeling these days is that the gospel teaches us how to live the Christian life. The judgment against sin, the sufficiency of his judgment against sin, the everlasting love of God and the presence of God. So when I'm offended by someone, I realize that God forgave me when I offended him. So why can't I forgive those who offend me? The, 
Gospel tells me that God so loved me that he cared for me. He loved even his enemies. It helps me to love even those who oppose me or, or marginalize me or um, disrespect me. The gospel gives us the basis for every Christian thing there is. And, uh, and the more that I grow in Christ, the more I see the gospel is central to the Christian life. So community, gospel, church, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. We are gospel-redeemed people, gospel-centered people, gospel-thriving people. And then I'd like to switch over to Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. The Apostle Paul says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and foolish. And then he says, that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Now, weren't the Roman Christians already Christians? So why did he want to preach the gospel to the Christians in Rome? Huh? Well, look at the beginning. It says, I am obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. No matter who you were, whether you were a believer who was wise in Christ and, and godly, or whether you were a fool outside the family of God, whether you were from a Jewish background or a Greek or a non-Jewish background, the gospel is good news to you. The gospel is good news to us who are believers here this morning. The gospel is good news to people who are not Christians. And... Um, and the gospel obligates us because it's a way of shining the light and the love of Christ into people's lives, whether they are not believers at all or whether they're seasoned saints and have been walking with God for a long, long, long time. So he says uh, in the next, in, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. That's very interesting when you think about it. It brings salvation to everyone who believes. In my own experience, I have believed the gospel with Pastor Don for more than 40 years. But what do I do when I talk about the gospel, when I hear the gospel, when I discuss the gospel? I believe it. And when I believe it, the power of God for salvation flows into my experience. Not for the first time, I've been a Christian for a while, but my experience of God continually gets sharper, nearer, and dearer as the basic truth of the gospel soaks into my mind and I apply it into the various situations that I have. I had a long conversation with my sweetheart, Barbara, and and I think you would characterize the conversation as a strong conversation. And um, I think she said something to me like, it goes both ways, Chris. I was like, <laughs> And this is when you need the gospel. You need the gospel to recognize, oh, I am at fault too. I need grace and I need to offer grace. And, and so the gospel is in, 
intensely relevant all the way through life. And and it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel because he punishes sin therefore opening the way for him to forgive sinners and bring them into his family. So God is righteous in thinking up the gospel and sending Jesus Christ on our behalf and securing our redemption through him. But then those of us who put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are made righteous. Christ's righteousness becomes ours. Now, I saw something that interested me on the one of the ads for the final four last night, and they have post-its that work on wet surfaces. Have you seen that ad at all? And um, I like that because, because sometimes we think of the righteousness of God that is imputed to us through Christ as something that's not really who we are. Like, well, I'm credited with the righteousness of Christ, but really, you know, deep down, I'm a sinner, and that's the way that it goes. Well, we do know that indwelling sin is one of the things that we as believers deal with, but we need to understand that when you are credited with the righteousness of Christ, that's what you are. You are righteous. Yeah, we sin. But we are righteous persons, given a righteousness that is not originally our own, but it becomes ours in faith. And so we have a legitimacy before God. We have a standing before God. Now, we need to be honest about our faults and our failings and our sins, but the Bible assures us that as we confess those things, we are forgiven, and not only is the guilt taken away, but the But the shame is taken away, and we can joyfully greet one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can work for the the kingdom of God and and the glory of Christ. But, um, But this is very powerful. The gospel is the power of God that brings the vital, renewing, dynamic, dynamic presence of God into our lives. And so the gospel is not only Christ crucified, but Christ raised from the dead. And that life comes into our experience every day. Now, I was talking with one of our students who was having a real hard time, and and, um, she was profoundly discouraged and we talked a little bit and we talked about the gospel and how the gospel lifts our spirits the gospel teaches us not to despair of life it teaches us not to get stuck in sin and and i'm going to say to all of us what i said to her i said you know probably two or three times a day you need to just stop and review the reality of the gospel 
We need to stop what we're doing because we can forget who we are, right? You get into a tough situation, things fall apart at work pretty soon, you're mad at them, they're mad at you, and you don't even know you're a Christian anymore and neither can anybody else. (laughs) But we need to focus, we need to recover the power of God to renew us and to make us new in those life situations. This doesn't happen just because we figured it out once and went forward or made a decision to follow God. We need to savor the power and the beauty and the goodness of the gospel, not only every day, but more than once every day. And what I would really suggest that you do is that you maybe bring a little something with you, a little devotional with you or something like that. You try to meet with God in the morning, But then somehow, and and those of you who are working all day have to be creative about this, but try to figure out a 5 or 10 or 15 minute section somewhere between maybe 10 and (laughs) 2.30 or 3 where you just stop and you just focus on the reality that God knows who you are. He has a calling on your life. He wants you to represent him. He has powerfully overcome all the forces of darkness against you and is there to pour his spirit in renewing power into your life in that situation. And then I would suggest that you have another one later in the day. And maybe for some of you who have been at work all day, stop the car before you get home. (laughs) Remember who you are. Remember who you're going to serve so that when you walk through the door, you're ready to bless people instead of demand goods and services. <laughs> and, uh, but what an amazing transformation our lives can come into our lives as we constantly and on an ongoing basis feast on the realities of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to change our lives. The gospel is the power of God to help us to overcome our, in our struggles. The gospel is the power of God to help us overcome discouragement and fear. So we're not ashamed of the gospel, are we? It's the power of God to save anyone who believes. And so our challenge and our responsibility before God is to believe the gospel today and every day. And then to share it, to, make, to live lives that both declare and demonstrate the victory of Jesus over sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for sending the Lord Jesus. He is a sufficient Savior for us. We have not been shortchanged by you. We have not been left behind by you. You are with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Help us, Lord, to take heart from the truth of what you have done for us, which also demonstrates what you will do with us and what you will do for us now as we faithfully represent you. In Jesus' name.